here today on the final Sunday of 2018. Can you imagine? I can remember last year us beginning to think how exciting it was to get into 18. It's already passed. I'm looking forward to be gone because when it's gone, then all of these other problems I had will be gone too. I'm going into a new year with something different in mind. And uh, hopefully you are too. I want to share with you from the Scripture this morning, Luke chapter number 15. And I want to use the first ten verses. It's a parable that Jesus spoke. Luke 15, beginning at verse number 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and lose one of them. Does he not leave the ninety and nine open into the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls all of his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that the same way there is joy, more more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the ninety and nine righteous persons who do not need repentance. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. You know, I thought about this. You know, I, I read Ken Davis has a great book that I, I love because Ken, Ken tells a lot of stories that I like to tell. But he tells about the story, he tells about a delightful story in his book. He writes about one morning when uh, a young couple who hadn't been married too long, and, and, and Diane had, uh, he and Diane had been married and, and just for a little while, and she had laid her ring on the bath, uh, in the bathroom when she went to get into the tub. She laid it off onto a stand. And she must have left it there, and he walked into the bathroom, happened to see the red ring laying there, so he picked it up. And he took it in and put it away. Well, you know, she went back looking for it, didn't want to say anything to him, and so she couldn't find the ring. But he said, in the middle of the night, he said, at 2 o'clock in the morning, I heard this, this crying, and just under the covers, just crying and, and weeping and shaking. And, and finally he said, what's wrong? She said, Nothing. He said, that made me sit up in bed because nobody yells, nobody's there bawling their eyes out and nothing happened. He said, what's wrong? She said, I've lost my wedding ring. He said, go back to sleep. I know where it's at. I put it up. He covered his head back up and laid down. He said, about two seconds later, in the darkness of the night, she reached over and she flung her wrist at me and hit me as hard as she could. He said, what's that for? She said, for taking my ring and not telling me. He said, I never took her ring again to this day. Well, you know what? Sometimes when we lose things, it's difficult. 
very difficult. He tells another one of, of a young couple that had been married and, and the, the, the young bride had been doing makeup work and, and she had taken her ring off while she was doing this and, and she laid it on a piece of her makeup cloth and, and a little while the phone rang and she went and answered the phone. When she came back to clean up the bathroom, she picked up them cloths and threw them in the commode and flushed it. And then she remembered her 28 thousand dollar ring was in that paper well when she told her husband he said my he said what what did you do i'm still making payments on that thing and so he began to get upset he began to had to go and take the traps loose he went into the basement tore the plumbing apart he went into the front yard dug up the yard in the meantime she had left and gone to her sisters because she said i didn't want to be around him now but he dug up the yard. He couldn't find nothing. By daybreak, he decided to call the sewer, city sewer company. Asked them if they'd come out and, and help him find that ring. I mean, after all, he's still making payments on it. It was expensive rock. And so they come out and they went down from his house near a, and put a special trap in. And then they put this high-pressure hose in and flushed it out. And then at the, down near that trap, a fellow went down in the manhole, fished around in the sewer and found the ring. Oh, there was rejoicing that went on. And I thought, you know what? That's exactly what happened in that Scripture this morning. The rejoicing over one sinner that repented. The Bible says that there was great rejoicing. I want to tell you something. There was rejoicing in that home, especially when that ring was found. Now, you know, I begin to think about that. I thought in chapter 15, where this Gospel... It was not a lost ring, but it was a valuable coin. Now notice what the Bible says. It may be difficult for us to relate to that, because, you know, the coins that we have today is pennies, nickels, dimes, quarters. You don't even find a, you don't find a 50 cent piece or even a silver dollar hardly anymore. So the coins that we think about is absolutely worthless. Yesterday, I went to the store as I was coming out, and of course you gotta know me, I, 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 and I can't carry nothing this long. I had two bags in this arm. As I walked across that parking lot, there was a penny laying, and I sat down them bags and picked it up. I didn't go two steps until there was a nickel way, and I picked it up. I felt wealthy. Man, I got six cents today. You see, most people throw them away. They wouldn't bend over for them, but I would. But you know what? I begin to think about this. You know, this woman, it was difficult for us to relate to this. But remember the beginning of Jesus' story. Notice what he said. He said, what woman having ten silver coins? If she loses one of them, she lights a lamp, sweeps the house, and searches carefully until she finds it. And I begin to think about that. What's the significance that Jesus was talking about when he said the woman had ten silver coins? I begin to research that. I begin to think about, there's got to be something more to this. These ten silver coins that Jesus referred to were valuable because of the sentiment of the coins. You see, because in the biblical days, when a man took himself a wife, the man would provide her with a silk string that would have ten coins on it. Most of the time, those coins would have engraved his name. And he would put it on her head instead of on her finger. And she would wear that, signifying that she was a woman that was married. 
that she had been taken, that she had a spouse. But you know, the amazing thing was, they still do that in the Middle East today. But you know, when one of them did something that killed their marriage vow, if one of them committed adultery, if one of them did something to destroy, immediately one of those silver coins would be removed. And when people would see her, they would know automatically that she violated her, her commitment in her marriage. And so the reason she was looking so aggressively is because it wasn't just the coins. It was the fact that her reputation was on the line. It was the fact that her marriage was on the line. And so when she found that coin and put it back onto that silver scarf, she called all of the neighbors and all of her family and said, let's rejoice for the silver coin that I've lost, I've now found. And Jesus said, He gave that illustration for a reason. Jesus said, which of you? realizing that the same kind of rejoicing that took place over receiving back that which we've lost, Jesus is saying that the angels in heaven, along with God, rejoices over one man, one woman, one boy, one girl that was lost is now found and retrieved. And so when I begin to think about that, this woman did this, but you know what? I wonder this morning, rejoice with me, she said, for I have found the coin of lost. And Jesus adds to the moral, just so I tell you the joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. Do you really believe that Jesus really believed that? That there was joy in heaven with the angels over one person on earth that got saved? Do you really believe that? If you do, then you believe what Jesus believed. The reason why there's not a lot of rejoicing in heaven today is because, you see, many of us don't really believe that God forgives sin totally. Many people today, that's the reason why we have so many people that go to church on Sunday. They feel like if I go to church and I listen to the preacher and I listen to the singing, it, it, it gives me a religious attitude, everything's okay. But they go right back out on the next day, or maybe even after service, and go right back into the same old lifestyle. And my friend, when that happens, there is no rejoicing. Jesus repeated this theme. Jesus, God rejoices over one sinner that comes home. And if you believe that, my friend, that He rejoices every time one of them come home. For us to believe there is rejoicing in heaven for a sinner that repents, First of all, we must realize that sin must be serious business. Sin is serious business. It's, it's not something that, my friend, we just overlook and say, well, uh, you know, some people say, sin, you, you will sin, you must, or you're fully bust. Let me tell you something. You don't have to sin when you come to Jesus Christ and repent and He comes into your heart and life and fills you with His Spirit. My friend, you can go through this life without sinning. But you know, a lot of people don't believe that today. Along with stumbling, it's a Greek stumbling block to a lot of people today. We don't take sin seriously. We, we're kind of like the legal client. I've heard about a young fellow, you know, most of these lawyers, when they first become an attorney and before they can open a business of their own, you know, they become uh, subject to the court. And so when, when somebody doesn't have money for a lawyer, what do they do? That court appoints them to an attorney. Well, you know, a young man by the name of Emory Potter was just fresh out of school, and he was appointed to a man that had been arrested. 
He was accused of criminal trespassing. And so when he sat down with the client, he began to ask him questions. He asked his client a question. He said, let me ask you, do you have any previous arrests or convictions? And the man ashamedly said, yes, sir, I've got a few. He said, well, let me ask you something. He said, the attorney said, were there any felonies? And the man became indignant. He said, absolutely not. He said, I specialize in misdemeanors. Now, you know what the difference is? A felony is definitely wrong, and you'll get time for it. A misdemeanor, they'll slap you on the hand for. And so what he was saying is he didn't do any big sin, he just did little sins. Well, you know, a lot of people live that way today. There's a lot of people that believe that way today. In your minds, in your your sins that you do is kind of inexcusable. They're excusable things. Many like the Pharisee who thanked God that he wasn't like the tax connector. You know, what he was saying was, he was saying, the Pharisee was saying, he was saying, my sins weren't all that great. My sins were misdemeanors. But I'm going to tell you something, with God, when I read the Scriptures, according to Jesus, my friend, the reality of this is, is not true because there is no misdemeanors with God. There is no big sin and small sin with God. Those who have pride in their heart, and the reason I say that is because Jesus made this statement, Jesus said that those who, who, who pride themselves of never committing adultery. Oh, I've never committed adultery, they say. But Jesus come back to them and said, Listen, Jesus said if you look upon a woman and lust after her, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. And so Jesus was talking about what's in the heart. Again, He went on in another place. And Jesus said to those who were priding themselves, that says, I've never committed violence. And yet he goes on to say that just as, as you, if you've even said and called somebody a fool, he said you're in danger of hell. That tells me that sin is an attitude of the heart. You see, sin is an attitude of the heart. There's, there's lots of people, just because you never provoked enough to actually strike another person doesn't mean that you're not guilty. You see, there's a lot of people that won't strike, but they'll go out and slam the door or go out and kick the car. Or go out and kick the dog. Let me tell you something. That's as much a sin as anything the Bible says. You see, the problem is is that we don't see that. You see, there's a lot of times sin is serious business. It crouches at the door of every person's heart that sits here this morning. And that's the reason why we have the problem that we do in our society today. Because the sin is crouching at the door. He's waiting for that opportunity to just crack that door open. And I want to tell you something, that sin today is moving forward. It's destroying homes. It's destroying lives. It's destroying careers. I can tell you of a friend of mine that was in ministry over some little thing, one mistake that was made that was wrong. I mean absolutely wrong, but I'm going to tell you something. It took him away from his children. It took him away from his wife. It took him out of ministry. It took him out of the work that he was in. He put him in a surrounding to where he couldn't go anywhere within a certain perimeter without having somebody at his side. All because of one simple little misdemeanor as far as they were concerned. But you see, in the eyes of God and in the eyes of the law, they would not overlook that. And so today, he's no longer in ministry. Today, he no longer can visit his family. No longer can he have the opportunity, my friend, to continue his career. He is just down to doing practically nothing. Why? Because sin is serious business, my friend. 
It makes no difference how big or how small you think it is. In the eyes of God, it is sin. And so sin is serious business. And, and that's the first thing we would have you to believe this morning. If we're going to have rejoicing in heaven, we're going to have to believe that sin is serious business. There's a second thing that I want you to notice. That people really can repent. They really can repent. They really can be forgiven. If people can't repent, then there is no rejoicing in heaven. You see, the Bible says that when one repents, then the angels rejoice. If there is no repentance, there is no rejoicing. And so I want to tell you something. They're still rejoicing in heaven today because men and women still have the opportunity when convicted by the Holy Spirit that they can repent of the sin. I don't care how big or how small it is. It kind of reminds me of a pastor that tells about being in a dressing and assembly meeting in Atlanta, Georgia. He was invited there with several other preachers and he said he had preached that morning and when he had preached the message after the service, he said the preachers all gathered into the pastor's office. There was four of them. And he said he was in there talking over what was going to happen throughout the day, throughout the conferences, and, and there came a knock at the door. And there was a man that was bearded and, and dirty looking and had the, that's the smell of liquor on his breath. And he knocked at the door and he said to the preachers, he said, do you really believe that God could forgive me? That message has worked on me. That what you said worked on me. Do you believe God can forgive me? And the preacher said, absolutely. He said, then I want you to pray for me. Now he was half drunk. And so when they prayed for him, they prayed that God would come into his heart and life, that God would forgive him of his sin, forgive him of what was going on in his life, and that God would make him a different person. And when they were finished praying and the man left, one of the preachers spoke up and said, I tell you, if he changes, we'll all be surprised. We'll all be surprised. You know what? There's a lot of people who believe that today. I've seen it in my ministry. I've had people that have got... I mean, they were terrible. I had a man in one of our congregations that had been involved in a murder. I mean, I mean, not, he wasn't in the church when he had did it, but, but by me going to the prison, by me going and ministering to him and his family, he got saved. I want to tell you something. The frown, the ugliness, the, the demeanor of this man totally was changed. But I had people in that church... I've had some of them say to me, I wouldn't trust him. I wouldn't believe that. I mean, I mean, he, he was involved in a murder. And I said, what's the difference if he repented and God forgave him and he paid his penalty? Why should we not repent? Why should we not forgive him? And there was rejoicing. I'm going to tell you something. There was rejoicing in his family. In fact, some of his family that was never believed in the Bible, never believed any of it, had come to the Lord because there was rejoicing over what took place in Jim's life. I had another fellow, you know, that I don't forget, you know, and I guess I tell this story because it's been one of the most exciting things in my ministry was the fact that, that we had a fellow that was called the meanest man in town. He was a supervisor of the roads, and he was a nasty fellow. But I want to tell you something. He kept coming around. He kept coming around. And he kept talking. And he had every once in a while, he was in, he was in WW2. He always told the story. I was in WW2 preacher. He said, you know, God can't forgive me. I said, God can forgive anything, John. He said, but you don't understand. He said, when my commanding officer said shoot, 
He said, I told my people and we shot. We shot mothers. We shot children. We shot, we shot people. He said, that didn't deserve to be shot. But I was given the command and I had to do it. God can't forgive me. I said, you'd be surprised what God can do, John. And I'm going to tell you something. It took a few months that John kept coming around and coming around and coming around until one day he came to the church. And you know, he came in the middle of the week and I told him before that he put the offering in, in the offering plate. He didn't want to do it, but he, he wanted to pay me. And I said, don't give it to me. It's not mine. It's to give it to the church if you want to give it to him. He put it in the offering plate. And I said to him, I said, now you need to come to church on Sunday and put money in the offering plate. That, that's an exciting way of worshiping. And, and you know what? Lo and behold, if it wasn't a week later, he showed up at church. Now, I knew him John had never been in church because nobody that's in sin, nobody that comes the first time sits in the second pew from the front where I can reach out and touch him. But that's where he was. I'm going to tell you something. When he got saved, the church rejoiced. I tell you what, for years he would come out on Sunday morning and grade my sermons. I would, one to ten, he'd tell me. Well, that was an eight, or that was a seven, or that was a ten, or that was a twelve. Let me tell you something. The next preacher that followed me got mad about that. I don't grade my sermon. I don't care how much you grade me as long as there's rejoicing in heaven over John. You see, this man told about this. He said, you know, them preachers, that fellow doubted. There was one of them preachers. He said, well, you know, if this guy gets saved, <laughs> you know, it'll be a miracle if he changes. He said, you know, about a year later, he said, I was sitting in the, in the lobby of a hotel. He said, I... I was sitting there just paying my own, you know, reading and studying a little bit. He said there was a man walked into the lobby and he, he looked at me and he walked right towards me. He said, he, he kept coming towards me. He had two little girls on one on each side, well behaved. He said as they walked towards me, he said, I was trying to figure out who this guy was. He said, I go a lot of places trying to figure out who this face was. I have that problem. And you know what? He said, I begin to look. He said, that was that derelict that was down there in Atlanta that we prayed for in the church office. He was clean cut. He had been changed by the power of God. He had two young girls beside him. And he come to hug me and thank me for what God had done in his life. Let me tell you something. There's rejoicing in heaven when a person repents. And the reason why that we don't have that kind of rejoicing today is because many people in the church don't really believe that God really, really can forgive sin. Oh, they'll go around and they'll act like they did, you know. Uh, you know, God really doesn't forgive. You know, they don't believe that, a lot of them. You know, you, you have people today that are joyless. Oh, you know, I think about it. You know, when we come to church, <laughs> it'll be no wonderful you smile. A few of you smile at me once in a while. It'd be wonderful if, if you had that joy and that smile on your face. It's a way of, of showing people. You know, you know, as, as Christians, you know, sometimes we need to, we need to put the joy of the Lord back in the service. We need to put the joy of the Lord back in the singing. I tell you what, Mandy does a wonderful job, Mandy. But but you know what? How much more wonderful it would be, Mandy, if everybody smiled at you when you were singing those songs. Everybody would just look up and say, oh, and their face would light up. What a difference it would make in our worship service. What a difference it makes when the when you smile and you look at the preacher. And, and even even if you think my hair's out of place, at least smile. You know, I mean, it, it's what it's all about. It brings joy in the fellowship, joy in the camp. Today, we have so little joy. We've got to drum it up. 
We 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 got to kind of get the soundtracks louder so that we can we can feel like we we we're excited. Let me tell you something. We got to be excited in the silence of it. We ought to be excited about what the Lord's doing in our life. Excited. I'm excited this morning that, that Jerome and, and his lovely wife is here with us today because, you know what? God has transformed their lives. If only you could see what they were and what they are by the power and the grace of God. What a gift this man has. And God has taken it and used it. He's blessed lives. He's blessed lives of people. Bless my life. Bless my my ministry wherever I've been, and I've been around them. You know, I mean, we've enjoyed our time together in worship. We've enjoyed our time together in fellowship. We've enjoyed our time together just sitting around talking about things and eating together because there's joy, my friend, when God changes people's lives. Forgiveness is what God's all about. You know, I thought about this while I was in in college back in Texas. I had the opportunity to to work. When I went to school in Texas, I, I said, I'm going to school. i got to get this thing under my belt so I can get out and do ministry. When I got to school, I found out that uh, if I didn't go to work in a church, I was going to the street corner. <laughs> hey, you know what I'm talking about, Dean. I mean, that's the way they talk. If you didn't get involved in a church, you're going to preach on the street corner. Well, there's nothing wrong with preaching on the street corner, but I got involved in Texas City Church, and I began to work with the pastor that was there. He, Brother Ogle, he, he's a great friend, he and his wife, and, and taught at the school. And uh, so I, I got the opportunity to preach and, and uh, be a part of that church. But he told a story one time that I want to use this morning. I never forgot it. And he told about a beautiful story about a widow from World War, World War I whose son was killed in the service and his, uh, her husband as well. And she was so distressed and so distraught over it because she, she was bitter because the neighbor had five sons and her husband and they all went to the military. They all went through the war and all came back safely. But she lost. She felt it was unfair that she lost her only son and her husband. And so in this distraughtness, she couldn't get over it. Her mind wouldn't let her get roots of it. And so she would think about it all the time. And one night in a dream, and she was dreaming about this in anger towards God, God spoke to her. And God said, if I could give him back to you, that son of yours, if I could give him back for five minutes, what five minutes would you want? Would you want them as that brand new baby wrapped in a, in, a, in, a, in a little blanket that you took care of? Would you want him back as a, as a little child when he first started walking and, and got out into the sandbox and played and got dirty? Would you want him when he first started the school and, and, and you know, his first young days in school? Would you want him back as, as he graduated from high school? Would you want him back when he stood and took that command that he would fight for the freedom of our nation and marched off to war. What portion of his life would you want us to bring him back for? She thought for a moment and she said, none of them. She said, none of them. I tell you when I would like to have him back. I would like to have him back when he was that, that, that 11-year-old boy that came into the house. He was mad. 
He was yelling at me. He was screaming at me. He was throwing things in his room. He walked out and said, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. And then he said, in about five minutes, his anger cooled. He came back into the house. He come over to me. His face was filthy and dirty from the tears that had been running down his face. And he looked over and he said, Mommy, I'm, I'm sorry I've been so bad. I'm sorry that I said what I did. Forgive me. And he put a big hug on her. She said, that was the best day in my life. When I saw my son change his attitude from being hateful to being loving. You know what? That's what God does. God looks down at you who have said, I don't believe in Him. I don't trust Him. I don't believe He can do what that preacher says. And God says in spite of all of that, when you get yourself into a bind and there's nowhere else to turn, and you come to Him and say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the way I've acted. I'm sorry for the things I've done. I'm sorry for what I've made made a mess of my life. But I want you to know I'm sorry and I want to love you. And God reaches His arms out and He pulls you close to Him. And He says, Son or daughter, I forgive you. Go and sin no more. You talk about rejoicing. Oh, the rejoicing. We'll close this morning by telling you a personal thing. My mom and dad. My grandmother was a preacher. I went to ministry. My dad, hard worker. But my dad had gone away from the Lord, and all he could do was work and work and work. And you know, he did construction work, and he 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 was in a stew, he was in a in a in a, a mill after he had a heart attack and couldn't couldn't do his construction work like he was. And, and he went to this mill and took a job. He became a supervisor. It was more on him than anything. But my daddy, when I went to school in Texas, I'll never forget it. He came to my house. He said, "Son, you got a job." You got a wife, and all you got is this book. You think you're going to make a living out of this book? I think you really need to rethink this. I don't think you need to go down there. You're you're preaching all you want to preach now. Why in the world are you going off someplace like you ain't never been in the state of Ohio? I didn't want to talk back to my daddy. I had been to Pennsylvania, but you know what? He said you don't know where Texas is. We loaded up and we went to Texas. And my dad told my my mom, don't you call them, don't you write them, don't you do anything. Them silly kids going all the way down there. But you know what? God moved me back to an area that my mom and dad was at. 30 mile away. When I came back to that church and Churches begin to do things, and we begin to grow, and we begin to get into a building program. Now I'm getting into his skin. He knows a lot about building. And we're building this building, and he's, he's asking about it every time we go. And, and finally he decided he'd come and check us out. Now he said he came for Coney Island hot dogs. He came to get a hot dog, but he thought he'd just stop by. 
He'd check us out. I'm going to tell you something. When we went to dedicate that building, they were there. My mom baked all the rolls to take care of that crowd. And, and we had that dedication. And I want to tell you something. My daddy came to church. Now, he, he came to church. He always wore work shoes. So when I when he dresses up, my mom buys him a pair of these plastic shoes. You know these things you wear in a wedding? Real shiny, plastic things. He wore those things, and every time there would be an invitation, I could hear back then, I had a pretty good hearing aid, and I could hear, and he would stand there and I could hear them shoes squeaking. One day I was preaching and I gave an invitation. I bowed my head. I was under the burden. I thought for John Thompson. I thought for this good, evil guy that had been there. And I knew he had been under conviction. And I prayed, God, let this be the day. Don't let him have a heart attack fighting it. Let him walk forward. And I happened to look out and there was that gray-haired guy down there. And I thought that was John. And I looked at the other side, another gray-haired guy over here. And here it was John, and here was my dad. Then came my mom. I want to tell you something. There was rejoicing in heaven that day. The whole church rejoiced. Because you see, when one comes to Jesus Christ, there is rejoicing in heaven. Church, we need to be alive. We need to be rejoicing for what God's doing. When God does something wonderful, the reason, I'm going to tell you something, it, it, it excites you. Have you ever done something for somebody and they never even sent you a thank you card? I mean, never said, never mentioned it like, like they never got it? And you keep wondering, you keep saying to yourself, I wonder if they got it. I wonder if I went to the right house. I wonder why they've never said anything. Oh, what joy it is when you give it somebody something and they get on the phone or they come to your house and oh, you shouldn't have done this, but you can't believe how much we needed that right at that moment and you were there. Well, I tell you what, we all rejoice. You see, the Bible says that Jesus, Jesus believed this. You know how I know it? Because three times in that 15th chapter, He made the same statement. There's rejoicing in heaven over one that repents. He talked about the lost sheep. He talked about the lost coin. Then He talked about the lost boy. I want to tell you something. God wants us to rejoice today. Starting into 2019, if you are here today and you want to see rejoicing in heaven and you don't know Jesus Christ and you don't, you're not certain that you have been forgiven, you're not certain that you have the victory, you can have it right here this morning at this altar and you can enter this new year with joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. It's your choice. You see, it's your choice of whether or not you want it or not. So today, I ask you, as we're going to sing, if there is a need in your heart, in your life, let this be the day that you obey the Holy Spirit. Take a moment and just simply say, God, forgive me of my past. Give me the assurance that all my sin is forgiven. It's gone. It's lost. It's forgotten. You see, a lot of people come to an altar and get saved, but then they go back out and they begin to pick up all these things they've done in the past. You know what? The Bible says He buries your sin in the deepest sea of forgetfulness. Never to remember them against you again. You ought to do that. You ought to get some of that never remembering again. Don't wait till you get to my age where you have that. It automatically comes. 
But you ought to just make up your mind. I'm not going to remember. I know. Every time the devil brings it up, say, I know God's forgiven me. I know where I'm walking. And I'm not going to listen to you anymore. And God will deliver you today. Let's stand together. Father, this morning, you know the hearts and the lives of those that are here. God, we just pray that there would be rejoicing in heaven and in Sugar Creek today. Because, Lord, You have forgiven, You have helped us to overcome the past. And You've given us a future that is strong, a future that is clean, a future that's going to bring joy and happiness and peace and prosperity because, Lord, we're walking in Your light and walking where You want us to walk. Watch over us today. Lord, meet the needs of this people. And for this, we'll give You the thanks. In Christ's name we pray. Will You come as we sing? If you would take your hymnals and turn to page 601. 601. I just felt like um, I initially picked out, uh, Lord, I'm coming home, but you know, I don't know. I think after that sermon, I think we need to uh, rejoice a little bit. Amen. Praise the Lord. There is peace and joy in the Lord today, more than all in this world of sin. There's a happy life in the holy way, praise the Lord I have entered in.